0: Welcome to this week's Leader's Guide for the Spring Quarter of Life Groups. This resource is provided to help you prepare and effectively lead your group. For your convenience, you can also download a written version of the guide under Life Group Leader Tools at gatewaycrc.org forward slash lifegroups. Remember to tune in each week and to look out for the weekly edition of Life Group Leaders Weekly. Let's join Adam Van Dopp now as he introduces this week's material. Well, hey there, Life Group leaders. What a beautiful day that we have today. I hope that you are enjoying this beautiful weather and that you're enjoying some warmth in whatever form and wherever you are and whatever day that you are listening to this. Uh, here we are in now in week number seven of our winter 2022 Life Group ministry. And it's been a great journey already up until this point in this book of Revelation with you all. Now uh, These discussions that we've been having are, are super great. Uh, if you have any further questions about how things are going for you and your groups, uh, do not hesitate to reach out to Pastor Justin or myself. We'd love to hear from you about how your groups are doing with all of this uh, incredibly interesting content. Well, let's steer yourselves towards our leader's guide for this coming week. A uh, few, few announcements, again pictures, uh, I would love to see again how your groups are doing and to share those with our, our broader crowd at some point. Um, again, a reminder of your attendance, keep on logging those numbers and let, let us know how those are going. And also just a keen reminder here about the calendar for the coming weeks of spring break. Uh, we will not be providing life group sermon guides or discussion questions for the weeks starting March 13th and March 20th. Uh, we'll still have outlines printed for everybody. Uh, but we will not be making these uh, robust uh, discussion guides for your groups for those coming weeks just because we're saying, hey, take a break. Uh, We'll be back into the pattern of our guides and questions for the week eight and nine of our Life Groups session that will start the week of April three, just before we head into Easter season. So let's jump into our getting to know you questions as you get your groups going. Uh, again, use these questions to get just get everybody comfortable, get everybody talking if you haven't done so already. Uh, first question here is just simply, what is your favorite smell and why? Uh, so you know smells can trigger uh, all kinds of memories with a single sniff or a whiff of anything. Uh, you can be taken back to your grandma's kitchen or to your wood shop or to a classroom or to a very specific event. And you know for myself, uh, two smells I just absolutely love and remind me of so many good things and that is. One, the, the, just the smell of fresh baked bread, uh, whether it's in the subway or even in my own home. It just is a, it's such a comforting smell that just reminds me of being home. And then also the smell of cut cedar. There's a certain smell that the cedar has as it lets off its aroma that just reminds me of working with my hands, building stuff in my shop, and uh, just being creative in that way. I just, I just love it. Uh, second question we have here is what is the best thing that happened to you so far this year? So it doesn't really need to be said, but these years have been tough, and now more so in these last couple of weeks as we've been watching the news about what is happening in Ukraine and Russia and beyond. um, These years have been tough and I just want want to encourage you as groups, as you reflect, I'm sure as you do on many of the things that are happening in the world around us, that you pause your discussion uh, around COVID, around the convoys, around these wars, and reflect on the good things that you are experiencing uh, this this calendar year so far from January, February, and now into March. Uh, just pause and reflect on the good things that you've experienced and, and the fun that you've had and some of the celebrations that you've been able to enjoy. Which leads us into the quick review section, uh, number one, looking back at your notes from this week teaching was there anything that particularly caught your attention challenged or confused you you know what to do with that one by now and number two the question that pastor justin asks us this past weekend pastor justin revealed the mark of the beast well how did that hit you and, uh, you know, we're, we're leaving that blank, uh, that answer in, in the sermon guide. And we, we encourage you, listen along and pay attention to what that discussion is going to reveal and what it might reveal in ourselves and what kind of things that we've been uh, misled by over these many years about that specific number and that mark and what that looks like. That leads us now into the God story. As we look now at the word of God, read Revelation 13 verses five through 10 and explore what does this passage say about God? What's it say about the world? And what's it say about me? And uh, you know, as many of our groups have been asking in a broad sense what strikes you all together about this passage. But in this particular one, I, I might encourage you, um, don't deviate and go through those three levels of question, asking about God, asking about the Word, and asking about myself, as uh, this, this passage is super intriguing. There's so much richness in there. So start peeling away some back of those layers. As we head into the digging deeper section, we will start doing those uh, those layers. Uh, first question here is read Revelation chapter 12, verses 17, through 13 verses three. So the dragon now calls the first beast to emerge from the waters. How was this beast able to immediately convince so many to be filled with wonder and to follow him? And so this question now leads you back to the last week's closing passage where we see the dragon on the shore of the sea after being cast out of heaven. And there he's planning this rage-filled effort upon the woman's offspring, the faithful believers. Now here in Revelation 13, we now see the dragon once again on the shore and he's calling upon these two beasts to emerge and to execute those plans. And the first beast emerges from the depths of the sea and we we learn from other translations it's called the, the the Leviathan, uh, who's leaning into a military-styled conquest, which we see in uh, chapter 13, verse 7. Well, what is interesting to take note of in this passage is that the beast emerges and the whole earth was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Well, help your group to take some time to consider how John's audience there in the seven churches might have experienced this reality. And so one element to consider as you're exploring this idea is a brief history lesson in that uh, we see the emperor in that time frame, Nero, has been wreaking havoc across the known world and his uh, his follow-up emperor, Domitian, had followed suit by doing much of the same. And so these two emperors, as we've talked before, have have gleaned an incredible following and have demanded that they be worshipped just like all the other gods, uh, as if they were gods themselves. And so you might remember Pastor Justin mentioned that for some people to enter into the markets, they had to claim that Caesar is Lord, thereby expressing their worship of the emperor. And so we see uh, through this that uh, so many have become followers of these beasts and of this dragon. Um, So again, entertain the ideas of how these beasts did that in this first century. We lead into number two, read Revelation chapter 13 verses nine through 10. After hearing of the first beast's intention to use force and power to distract the faithful, uh, John now calls the faithful to an endurance in their faith. Well, how might John's original audience have heard and responded to this particular call? And so this question has us now continuing to reflect upon how the original audience heard and received this particular text, helping us further to understand that this book cannot mean now what it did not mean then. And so governing bodies of this time as we've just been talking about were persecuting Christians in very overt and not so subtle ways. Uh, The the Christians were banned from the markets and in some other cases they weren't able to own land, they weren't able to sell their wares or the products in, in any way possible. And it's been said before that to become a Christian in this context was to immediately ostracize yourself from society, to move yourself to the outside of the city, to move yourself beyond uh, society in and of itself. Well, John here, he keenly is aware of the challenges of his audience and he charges them to rise above their current situations and to endure these, these troubling situations in their growing faith. And, and, you know, as I think about this, it's a similar challenge to what the Apostle Paul leaves for his Corinthian audience, audience in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he's writing to them about surrendering his rights to that of the mission of God, recognizing that the God's mission is far weightier and far more important than his own, or even of the governing authority's mission and call upon him to live life. And so at verse 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians there, Paul brings up the race metaphor that all the runners who run the race of the Christian faith will, in fact, win the prize, not just the one who finishes first. Then in verse 27, Paul writes, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. And so it's it's a helpful image here to see that even Paul, our our faith's greatest missionary and author of more than a quarter of the New Testament, he is still in this context working out his faith, learning how to endure the difficult times that he himself finds him in, which is a fairly similar timeframe that John's audience is finding themselves in. And so perhaps now John's audience were encouraged by this collective knowledge. We have a bullet point question here. Uh, Read Galatians chapter six, verses six through nine. And so, our confidence in our endurance, or rather our perseverance, rests in the power of God to sustain us with His grace. How does this confidence then shape us in these tumultuous times that we find ourselves in now? So if you're familiar with a lot of Reformed theology, you'll, uh, you'll remember perhaps the TULIP framework of Reformed theology, where the P in that acronym stands for the perseverance of the saints. And so a uh, Reformed theologian, a guy named by the name of R.C. Sproul, he writes that the word perseverance in this framework allows for too much ownership on the believer's part. And it would be better phrased to say the preservation of the saints. Catch the difference, perseverance or preservation. And so the notion of being preserved does not allow for much room in an individual to preserve themselves. As opposed to thinking about perseverance, as you persevere, there's a lot of personal ownership in the activity and what you are doing. Whereas in the act of preservation, there's not a whole lot that you can do for yourself in order to preserve yourself. So as I was writing about this, I thought about the last time I watched Pam, uh, my wife, uh, do some canning. She um, does canning of peaches and some applesauce and a variety of other things. And uh, as visualizing this happening and I'm thinking, does the fruit or the vegetable contribute in any way to the process other than just being available? Well, I think the simple answer is well, in an overt, no. Uh, they are incapable of any contribution. While the fruit or vegetable um, is, is inanimate, um, we human beings have no way to preserve ourselves either when it comes to the matters of our faith all we can hang on to is the truth of God's love and grace for us that it is in him and only him that we can enact any kind of endurance in our lives, thereby preserving us for himself. So a conversation around this confidence uh, should go in the direction of a greater recognition that we continue to rest in the hands of God and not in our own. We might remember from past conversations that the, that the tumultuous events that are going on in the world around us, both great and small, might cause us pain and might actually end our physical lives. But these events cannot and will not remove us from the very hand of god go into question number three read revelation chapter 13 verses 11 through 12. and so christians everywhere aspire to follow the real lamb and not the counterfeit that we see now in the second beast how are you sure that you are worshiping the real jesus so revelation 13 here poses this whole notion that there is a parody that is happening that the dragon has these two beasts acting as counterfeit christ the first beast seemed to have this mortal wound, and the second beast was like a lamb, referencing the sacrifice of Christ in the image that we have seen develop in this book that Jesus is the slain lamb. Now, as a bit of a side note, one thing that we are seeing emerge and develop in this chapter is that the dragon is even showing us a parody of the anti-trinity or the opposite of the trinity, and that the dragon, the behemoth, and the leviathan each are mimicking God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this anti-trinity that we are seeing develop is working hard to establish and grow in its kingdom ahead of God's. And so while this question may be challenging for the members of your group to even consider that there's a chance that we could be following the wrong Jesus, use this question to develop guards and habits that we need to place within our lives to guard ourselves against the slippery slope that the dragon or the devil is using to pull us away. So then at this point, read 1 Kings 13 verse 9 and Revelation 13 verse 18, asking the question, what can we learn from King Solomon's request and John's call for us? So the actions of the second beast that we observe through Revelation 13 verses 11 through 18 leave us with the challenge to do a good work and growing in our own sense of wisdom and awareness of God's activity. Like King Solomon, we need to ask the Lord for the wisdom to discern between good and evil. And so these two realities have a pretty strong presence amongst us uh, as, uh, amongst the world of Solomon, of John's audience, and even ours today. And so while it is easy to determine that wars are evil, it is harder to see that our usage of a cell phone app is also easy. And so as followers of Christ, we need to learn so much more about what is wrong and what is right in the eyes of Christ and not our own. And I think that's what is at the core of Solomon's request is that he's learning to see the world through God's eyes as opposed to his own. And as you read the literature that Solomon writes following, you begin to see clearly that he is starting to see the world through God's eyes and not through the eyes of himself or his own worldly understanding. That's where you take a good journey into the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and see his contribution to the uh, written word. Uh, So then bullet point question, read Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through two. How might now the cloud of witnesses in your your church family keep you aligned with the real Jesus Christ? so from the very beginning of Scripture until the end, we are painted with the picture of community. In Genesis 1 verse 1, we see God in partnership with the Spirit. In Genesis 2 verse 18, we see the Lord make a companion for the man. In Revelation 22, we see John still in concert with the Spirit. We see the Spirit and the bride the the church acting as a unified body together. You see, humanity was never designed to function on its own in singular terms. We're made with this internal longing to be in community, whether we're in large or small groups of people, we're designed to commune intimately with each other. It's then in that communion of togetherness that we can hold each other accountable to be sure that we are on the right track to follow the right and correct Jesus and not some counterfeit that the world has derived for itself. You see, we we need people in our lives to point out our waywardness and our distractions. We need to submit to those people in whom we trust and we need to make course corrections as they are called for. So even entertain this uh, additional question. Have you ever been part of a conversation where you confronted a brother or sister in Christ about going astray? Have you ever been confronted in the similar way? What was that like? So entertain those last conversations as you enter into the taken home question, where we encourage you to read Revelation chapter 13, verses six through seven and verses 13 and 14, where the first beast seeks to capture the loyalties of humanity and the second beast seeks to compromise godly living. How have we been distracted by these beasts being still very active? What are some keen examples? Well, there is so much deception going on in this world, and at times it can be quite difficult to discern reality from the parody. What, what can become challenging is that when you gather five people together, there's going to be five different ideas about how they're experiencing life and that very parody. And so that even becomes a tough example even in, in and of itself. But even think about it, as you travel around town, your attention gets pulled away in so many different directions from, from billboards to people flipping signs to road signs to storefronts, uh, both well and good things. But the, our eyes are, are uh, grabbed and our attention shifts from point to point quicker than our ability is to keep up with it all. So enter into the spiritual side of all of that and and how temptation to engage in unruly conversation is ever in front of us. Uh, Clicking that link, uh, texting, uh, sorry, taking that next drink or laughing at that bad joke or belittling that other person, not paying attention to your children's pleas or getting lost in the news. Well, that list of distractions goes on and on and on and on. Leaders, I would encourage you to help your group remember that even to see that distractions that while they may very be large in scale, like the war in U- the Ukraine, they may also happen on a very vi- on a very minute scale, like an app notification on your phone that can pull us away from, from a meaningful conversation or to something that is happening in the world that we just don't need to worry about. You see these beasts, but they will use anything and everything to gain the advantage. Like in advertising, uh, they're happy with a glance. It means there's a greater product recognition. Well, these beasts are satisfied with momentary lapses of judgment and seek then to increase their work, to increase our distraction. So, in your group, encourage your members to give voice to these distractions while understanding that naming them doesn't give them power, but actually it does quite the opposite. It removes the power from those distractions as it heightens the awareness and also finds support and community and affirmation and encouragement. Well leaders at this point, I invite you to close your time in a word of prayer, plan through uh, your upcoming activities that you might want to engage with over spring break as you plan your socials and your surf projects, uh, update each other on where things are at, the things that you've been praying for, and be sure in the midst of all of this to lift up prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving. Well, leaders, once again, thank you so much for uh, continuing to serve our church community and the Lord's community in this way. We pray a blessing upon your next meeting. And also, uh, we pray a blessing upon a bit of a break that we're going to entertain together coming up over spring break. And we look very forward to being able to gather ourselves together once again following that uh, following Sunday of April 3rd. Well, blessings to you all as you continue to do the things that it is that you do. See you.